You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. Amen. Well, we've been planning for several months now our new series called The Pursuit of Happiness. In fact, you might have sat on some cards. These are for you uh, to give to your friends, neighbors, your coworkers, to let them know what God's doing here. Invite them to church over the next several weeks. Over the next eight to nine weeks, in, in kind of into the fall, we as a church are going to be studying what some call the Constitution of the Kingdom. Does anyone know what that is? Well, let me, I'll give you a little clue. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. I know you've heard of that, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's the beginning portion. It's called the Beatitudes. We're going to be studying the Beatitudes, things to be, not to just do. And it's not just a list of great ideals or just a bunch of nice words. These are eight powerful pronouncements of blessing from Jesus. One commentator, Eric Smith, said this, it's the prescription for living, maintaining personal revival. So our, it's all about our walk with the Lord, our, the fire of God inside our lives. That personal revival relates to being blessed, being fulfilled, being satisfied. What Jesus does is he lays out how to be happy. Let me just ask a question. Do you want to be happy? Good. First service, they sat there and they're like, hmm. <laughs> I had to ask it six times. No, just kidding. You want to be happy, right? Well, then if you want to be happy, how would you rate your happiness today? Unfortunately, I've realized, and you know this to be true as well, as Americans in North America living in West Michigan, and maybe in particular, we as a people often struggle with what it means to be happy, to be satisfied, to be fulfilled, to be blessed. Ask your neighbor, and I really want you to do this. Ask your spouse or someone sitting close to you, when will you be happy? If you this morning are unhappy about something, and something's coming to mind, you're like, well, there is that one thing. There's something in all of our lives, right? If you're unhappy about something right now, when will you be happy? Some will say, well, I'll be happy when I get that promotion. Pastor Ben, you don't know how hard I've been working. I have positioned myself. The boss knows I'm ready. I'm just waiting, and when that comes, I'll be happy. Others of you are saying, well, when I retire, I've been working hard, been saving, and when I cross that line and I don't have to work another day of my life, then I'll be happy. Others of you are saying, well, when so-and-so that I work with, they get fired, then I'll, get, <laughs> then I'll be happy. <laughs> Others of you, if you're single, some of you might be like, man, if I could just get married, I'd be happy. I paused for service. Jessica wasn't here, but she is now. Would we agree that just getting married is not what makes us happy? Whew. 
I was right. I said, I said, being married does not make you happy. And then I went to, uh, to Mary and Dennis Hardy. I said, having kids. Some of you struggle having kids or whatever. They've had eight. The Lord has blessed them. I, and I, I said to Dennis, or one of our elders, I said, Dennis, does having kids make you happy? And he says, yes. <laughs> Wrong. I, was, I, I, I didn't. <laughs> when will you be happy? I'll be happy when my kids behave. Everyone say amen. Or when they sleep through the night, right? For those that have young ones, right? I was thinking about it. It's so weird. Like you never asked this question, you know, 10 years ago. But maybe you'll be happy when you get so many likes on Facebook or so many views on your YouTube channel. I was thinking, man, if I even just got one like, that'd be good. Some people think it takes more to be happy. More money, more stuff, more sex, more power, more position. There's a lot to pursue. And the bad news is, is that more, hate to be the bearer of bad news, does not lead to happy. In fact, let's, let's look at it for a second. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We see Solomon talking about his life, and he was the most uh, uh, wealthy person to ever have lived, some say. He had 40,000 horses. That'd be like having 40,000 Ferraris in his garage, right? And uh, like he was wealthy. Some estimate his net worth to have been $800 billion. That's with a B. And, uh, and what did he say about life? He said, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. In other words, whatever he saw, whatever he desired, he obtained. He just took it. He's like, hey, I can afford it. And he says, I refused my heart no pleasure. Some of you know about Solomon. He was, I'm not sure about the wisdom here, but he had hundreds of wives and hundreds of concubines. And so in regards to his heart and pleasure, he said he refused his heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. He was a hard worker, no doubt. He says, and this was my, was the reward for all my toil. He said, look, I, whatever I wanted, I was able to have. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I have, had toiled to achieve, everything was, say it with me, meaningless and chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained from under the sun. I don't know about you, I would like to try $800 billion of net worth and just see if it helps. You know what I'm saying? If there's anyone that should have been fulfilled, blessed, and happy, it should have been Solomon. But it just wasn't the case. He surmised that that's not how you pursue happiness. And so in Jesus' his first recorded sermon, it's called the Beatitudes, or the Sermon on the Mount, and then it's the Beatitudes is the first section. He addresses this human condition that no matter how much stuff, no matter how many relationships, no matter how much whatever, more is not what makes us happy. And he starts off with less than 12, with less than a dozen sentences, he completely undoes the world's value system. And he takes the goals that a normal person would have, and he shows that the ruler of the universe, he, he says, look, I'm going to look at this from a different perspective, from a different lens. And he does this in Matthew chapter 5. If you're not there, hopefully you'll get there quick. Matthew chapter 5. Let's look at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And let's look at these Beatitudes. It says in verse 1, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, 
he went to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Can you imagine, like, sitting at the feet of Jesus, how awesome that would be? I mean, he's about to preach. His, this is the first record. It's not his first uh, message for sure, but, uh, but he, he's about to speak. People uh, are excited to hear, and he says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evils against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. And for in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He takes, Jesus, in these few words takes what the world's view would be, and he turns it upside down. And we have to relearn what it means to pursue happiness. All of these beatitudes focus on something that the world would reject. It's the destitute. It's the losers, those that are oppressed, the one under judgment, the one uh, who don't get what they deserve. They're the ones that are happy. They're the ones that are blessed, we'll see. The ones who aren't good enough, those the, the ones that put themselves at risk, the ones being persecuted. Again, they're the ones that are happy, that are blessed, fulfilled. Well, today we're going to focus on the first beatitude. And it's important, the order of these. I believe the Holy Spirit uh, put these in order to, for us to follow. You can't have any of the other ones unless we address this one. So it's a good thing you're here. And a good thing you're online if you're on vacation watching. Welcome on Facebook. But Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, is our focus for today, and it says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's simple. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to break this down and look at these words kind of in the key phrases, and let's look at the word blessed first. In the Greek, the word here is makarios, and I'm not a huge Greek buff. I took Greek for two, uh, two sessions for a year's worth and in, in a couple months' worth in the summer. And it was like accelerated. But I think that's how you say the word makarios. And, but when you look up what makarios means, it means to be supremely blessed, actually, or to be happy or supremely happy. And it's interesting that when Jesus said makarios, the original hearers would have made, they may have thought in their mind about a place that they would nickname Makarios Island. It's actually the island of Cyprus, which was a beautiful place. You can look it up uh, now or at a later date. But uh, Cyprus was an island that was self-sustained that was self-contained, was best, it had the best climate, it had the richest soil. In regards to that, it produced the best crops. And so when Jesus said blessed or blessed or makarios, the audience would have perked up and they would have leaned in. And I thought maybe we could practice that here for a second. So when I say blessed, you perk up, 
And then lean in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you guys are good. I like that. Let's do that one more time. Blessed. You perk up. And then you lean in. Stay leaning in. And Jesus, at that moment, says the unthinkable. He says, blessed Makarios are the poor in spirit. And they're like, what? Rewind. Let me hear that again. What? You can look at it. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He doesn't say blessed are you if you work hard or if you, you know, have a lot of money or if you serve and you give of yourself or even if you give in the offering, your tithes and offering. That doesn't mean you're going to. No, Jesus hits them right with a spiritual condition. It's absolutely not what they would expect. And for us, when we look at this, we may expect it because, you know, the culture that we live in or how we've grown up, but it's a hard idea to get our mind around. You, but the idea here is you can't meet a spiritual need with natural resources. What you need is to be poor in spirit. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, it does not mean that you are financially broke. Let's just clear that up. That is for sure. There's no commentator that talks about that. It also doesn't mean that you're lazy and non-productive or non-entrepreneurial. It does not mean that you are weak or that you lack courage in any way. What being poor in spirit means is that there's an absence of pride in your life. There's an understanding, that we'll see this in a second, that you and I are actually blind, crippled, naked, ashamed, vulnerable to the elements. We are without hope, without Jesus. That's what being poor in spirit means. Without God and his mercies, we are absolutely nothing. What poor in spirit means is that we are totally dependent on God if we boil it down. Poor in spirit means your total dependency is on God. And your happiness is related to that. Being in an ongoing intimate relationship with God is what makes you fulfilled, satisfied, happy. Poor in spirit is the idea that you realize your own poverty of spirit. Now there's nothing in and of yourselves or myself that can make me happy accept our surrender to Jesus, knowing that we are poor, poor in spirit. And let's just note this, that if you're questioning that fact, you'd like to debate me on that, saying, well, I don't know, I think I'm pretty fulfilled, I'm living a good life, this and that, or, uh, or man, you know, I'm pretty, you know, pretty awesome, and we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, if you're debating that fact, I would suggest that you are not journey, journeying with God, because your journey with God starts with a surrender. If you don't know your poverty of spirit, you may not have a relationship with him. The truth is that you and I are bankrupt without God. We're bankrupt. So the question is, what gets in the way of this understanding or this reality? And the number one enemy to that is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness, the idea that we can self-work or self be self-sufficient or self-promotion or self in general. It's pride. It's the greatest enemy to our happiness. See, pride says this, I don't need God. I've got this. 
Now, none of you would say that. I get that. None of you would stand up and say, yeah, I don't need God. My guess is, no, not a single one of you. But the way you act, the way you live your life, the way you spend your money in your relationships, many times, if we're not careful, we live with this idea. You're saying, I'm capable. I'm smart. I'm a hard worker. I care about people. I serve. I give. Whatever the case might be. I'm at church this morning, right? I'm doing okay, right? I've got a 401k. My retirement is all set. In other words, I'm rich, right? And I would submit that every single one of you that are here, you would, could be put in the category of rich. If you live in West Michigan, you are rich compared to the rest of the world. And we're not here to compare. But the truth is that we, I've, I have traveled all over the world and I have seen poverty. And, uh, and th- where we live, there is no one that's really truly poor. But look what it, what it says in Revelation chapter 3. Interesting about this. Saying, okay, I don't need God, right? I'm, I'm rich, I'm, I'm fine. In uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, it's, uh, Jesus is talking to the church of Laodicea. He says, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but let me just acknowledge for myself that little phrase that we just read describes my reality. I am rich, and I don't need a single thing, except the next breath, which we'll talk about that in a minute. We don't need anything. In what, you know, we are cared for. We're rich, just like the church of Laodicea. But then he goes, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. What? It's the ultimate deception. This idea that, oh, I've got this. I've got it under control. I don't need the Lord's help. Even if you don't say it, but you live that way. The idea that I need nothing when really you need everything. It's self-righteousness. This is the state of our humanity. This, uh, the people that we rub shoulders with, our neighbors, and our relatives, our family members, our friends, our coworkers, our classmates. We are all spiritually bankrupt without God. And what happens here is Jesus says, if you want to be happy, you need to be like the destitute, the beggars, like the homeless, so to speak. Poor in spirit. And again, the enemy to that is self-righteousness. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 says, to be blessed or happy, it's not what you do, but who you are, your being, poor in spirit. It's an intimate relationship with God, and that leads to a promise. If we look at it, the second part of verse 3 says, for theirs is, say it with me, the kingdom of heaven. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is describing a spiritual condition here. Yes, he's talking about future heaven in regards to our eternal glory, the blessed hope that someday we'll live and reign and rule with with Christ forever and ever. But it also means bringing heaven to earth. 
So it's future, but it's also for the here and now. What Jesus does is he promises that the kingdom of heaven is now. Kingdom. What we're talking about is the Lord's kingdom. We're a part. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we are his sons and daughters. Can you even imagine what it would be like to be in the king's courts and what the king has is yours. That's our reality. And it's in heaven, right? A great place sounds good. It's kingship. It's rulership. It's this idea that there's a supreme blessedness, a supreme happy, and we inherit it all. There's victory. Absolutely. You say victory. Okay. And it's not the first time that Jesus has talked about this. Just in the previous chapter, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So he's saying, you get me, the kingdom of heaven, and I will be with you. You bring heaven to earth, and it's here. And for the first time, people are starting to, to understand. What Jesus is talking about is total victory. You win. You are blessed supremely your pursuit of happiness has arrived and it's absolutely possible but some of you are thinking well wait a second i'm not experiencing that kind of victory in my life i've got ups and downs i never get the breaks some of you might just flat out say i am not happy I'm not blessed, I don't feel blessed, or I don't feel fulfilled, and there might be a list of things that you could describe in your relationship or your finances or your even whatever. It, it, your life becomes you know, like a country song that you're broke and your car is broke, you don't have a job, you don't got the girl, and you're ugly, right? Saying, I don't experience this kind of victory. And I would just encourage you to ask yourself, And I'm going to ask myself, why have I not experienced the victory? Could I be so bold that we may not understand or be living poor in spirit the way we're intended to? Ask yourself, am I really poor in spirit? And the truth is, your happiness is an indicator. And for some of you, it's an indicator that you are not poor in spirit. Because poor in spirit, let's just remind ourselves, means total dependence on God. That we're totally, everything is dependent on Him. And so what does that look like? Well, oftentimes, and I know I'm going to step on some toes, but I'm just going to go for it. And first service was kind of quiet, and it just is what it is. But often what goes first is your prayer life. Nothing declares total dependency on God like a prayer life, like a good prayer life. And it's the first to get pushed out. You get busy. You get a little success and you forget to pray. You're kind of self-sufficient. Maybe I got this, right? It's pride. And you stop praying. Other things that are affected are things like your devotion life, right? When you skip your devotion, when you skip your time with God, uh, I just want to change your perspective here. When you, when you skip it in, intentionally or unintentionally, it's almost like you're saying, I don't need you, God. I don't need this. 
I don't need your word. I don't, I've got this. What else are indicators? Maybe a lack of church attendance or you, know, you say small group attendance, right? Well, biblically and time-tested principle is that we need each other. It's found in Scripture. We're going to roll out some new small groups next week, and some of you are thinking, well, I've got this. I really don't need the brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm okay. No. You need to be dependent on God and what God's Word says, and His Word says that we need to be together. Don't forget what Hebrews chapter 10 says, do not neglect the meeting of the saints. And this first beatitude, it's like a big bang. It's, I mean, it's, it, Jesus is saying something here huge. He's saying, look, if you're not happy with your marriage, or you're not happy with your job, or you're not happy with your church, or you're not happy, students, with your parents, if they just let up a little, right? You are the ones that need new lenses. I've got my glasses here. I can't see your faces. I put them on. I'm like, boom, I can see clearly, right? You need a new perspective. You need to see it through the lens that God has put in front of you. The prescription to be satisfied, to be blessed, to be filled, to be supremely happy. The pursuit of happiness, how does it happen, is to realize that you are totally bankrupt. Bankrupt spiritually. And the ones who are totally bankrupt are now the new millionaires, so to speak. I know, it's crazy. The destitute, the beggars, the street people, the homeless, they're the ones. So let me ask you, I'm going to ask two questions to kind of wrap up here. Number one, how would you know if you are poor in spirit? How would you know it if you were hitting it out of the park? How would that, how, what would that look like? Well, when we value God like it's our next breath, we're poor in spirit. And I'll come back to that at the end. When we're seeking his kingdom first, it's a sign that we might be poor in spirit. I boil it down to this. When you become desperate for God, and there's a desperation, that's a sign that you're poor in spirit. The poor know how to beg. Like I said earlier, I've traveled and been in over 20 countries in my life, and I've seen some really, really poor, desperate people. We don't see that here in America. It's, uh, it's, we just don't. But I've seen people that are so poor that if they don't beg, almost like on their hands and knees begging, for their next meal, they won't make it. I've seen it where people are arrogant and self-righteous, and, uh, and, if they, and if they don't get a control of that and they're poor, in some place of the world, they will starve to death. Again, not in America. But there's a desperation, and the poor know how to beg. And the problem is that we are spiritually poor, spiritually speaking, and the truth is, is that most of us, and I include myself here to a large degree, do not see our spiritual bankruptcy. We are not beggars of God. We're not consumed with our own spiritual destruction. We don't, we don't uh, live for the crumbs from the master's table. We're not desperate. Yeah, we showed up this morning, but we may not have showed up, and it's okay. Or we may have, you know, prayed, but we may not have prayed, right? 
See, the audience that, that would have heard this first, they would have believed that their self-sufficiency, their self-righteousness was the path to success. In fact, they, would, they were people that would follow the rules, check it off the list, hundreds of rules. And the more rules they followed, the better they felt like they were. It, it's just like today. For many of us, we can check off the rules or we can check off the things that we do and we can think we are okay and we're not. I know someone's thinking, yeah, but when I do give, that does make a difference, right? Or my attendance, it does make a difference, right? Like that we do show up, right? Whether I'm checking in online, that makes a difference, right? Or the Bible study that I did, that makes a difference, right? My devotions, it makes a difference, right? The souls that I've saved, I led someone to the Lord this week. That makes a difference, right? It counts for something, right? I deserve some credit, right? And what Jesus says is no. There's only one gift. The gift is only for those who know they are desperate, that they're destitute, that all of their righteousness is like filthy rags, all the good things that they've done. And so I want to evaluate. What does it look like to be poor in spirit was the first question. The second question here, and Mary, you can come at this point, is how would you know if you are not poor in spirit? What would it look like if you were not poor in spirit? I want to try to paint a picture, and I, and I understand it's like layers of an onion, and so we got to be careful here, but we're taking off layers here. But I would say, I am not poor in spirit when I neglect my time with God. I am not poor in spirit when I don't pray. It's the attitude, I, I've got this, God. I am not poor in spirit when I don't feel the need to worship. I am not poor in spirit when I feel like I don't need others to come alongside. I am not poor in spirit when I don't need the Word of God. Like, ah, I've got this. Let's just note that as we're in His presence, we discover how rich He is, how poor we are, and that's the truth. But when we talk about richness, uh, we are not poor in spirit when we are rich in worry. When you're worried about something, you're concerned about something, and, and it, it's just driving you crazy, you can't get it off your mind, it's a sign that you're not poor spirit. When you're rich in fear, it's the opposite of being poor in spirit. When you're full of anxiety, where when you feel threatened, or when your anger gets you out of control, or when there's a whole list of other things that, that may be indicators that you are not poor in spirit. And what Jesus says is you will be blessed. There will be makarios for those that are poor in spirit, that are totally dependent on God. When you worry, when you're afraid or you're full of anxiety, there's this idea that, well, I've got to have a piece of this. I'm gonna, I can't control, but, but you know, it's not giving it over to God. And Jesus says that you'll be blessed if you find me, if you find Jesus. He is your Cypress Island, the Makarios Island. 
Yes, stuff is okay to have, but it's not your Macarios. It's not where your blessing, where your fulfillment comes from. Yes, it's important that you gain knowledge. Like education is important. We believe in that. But education is not your Macarios. Yes, if you're single, we believe in marriage, godly marriage, right? And marriage is great. It's incredible. And it gets better as time goes by. Amen, right? But our marriage, our spouse, my wife is not my Macarios. I am not fulfilled or satisfied because of her. Your friends, your hobbies, your, the sports that you play, the music you play, those things are not where your blessing, your Macarios come from. Jesus is your Macarios. Let's look at it one more time. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Macarios are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's stand and pray. Lord, we thank you that right out of the gates in this great Sermon on the Mount, you hit us with a sucker punch and it's, it's a blow to the gut for many of us to address our condition, our spiritual condition. And Lord, I pray that this morning as we respond with this song and then we respond in just a few moments, Lord, that we would recognize our spiritual depravity and Lord, that we would not only sing the words of this song, have it all, but Lord, that our lives would truly be for your glory, for your honor, that we'd give you everything. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together and then we'll respond. able to get away, I experienced a season in my life where I kind of describe it, that, and I've shared this with the staff and with the board, and, and uh, some of you are aware, but uh, where I was just feeling kind of how I describe kind of hopeless, which is crazy because I'm like the always half full guy, right? But I was feeling empty. I was feeling like, oh man, you know, what's next? You know, uh, we've accomplished all this, and I should be happy. But there were some days I didn't even feel like getting out of bed. And it's hard for me to even admit that. And so the board was wise. My wife was wise. She's saying, hey, you need to get some help. And so I got away. And then, and then we got away. And then we were able to enjoy our vacation. One of the most important things that I learned is that I had let my relationship with God become a checklist of things that needed to be done. And I was getting up in the morning. I was faithful in my devotion. I always say, hey, do your soap reading. That's the minimum expectation. And so we were doing that. I'm writing in my journal, doing the right things. But I had lost an intimacy with God. I've studied over the past several weeks and I've been studying for this series, I realized that I had lost a desperation for God. 
I lost the desire to get on my knees and say, God, I'm a beggar for you. I'm nothing without you. And it wasn't like I was saying, God, you know, there's parts of my life that I don't want you to have control over. There was no sin issue directly, thank the Lord. It was a lack of desperation. And I'll just tell you, I have learned again that the joy of the Lord is my strength. It's Jesus. And unless Jesus is priority, unless we are poor in spirit, we will not be fulfilled. We will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, the goodness that God has. And so my question this morning is, you know, in regards to feeling victory, do you see yourself spiritually bankrupt? Because that's exactly the state that we're all in. Or is there an inch of pride saying, no, I've got this. I'm doing the right things. I'm checking off the boxes, right? gentle way. He's breathing a fresh word again. And for some of you, you know this, but it's not the things you do, it's who you are. The be, it's your being, your beatitudes that will cause true satisfaction, true fulfillment. Are you a beggar for God? Or are you walking through life attitude, I've got this. If you're here this morning and you're saying, man, I've done a lot of good things. I've, I'm here this morning. Maybe you even attend here or another church. Maybe you've even given. But there's not a desperation. I want you to know salvation does not come by your works, by the things you do. Salvation comes from Jesus and it comes from a realization nothing. You are spiritually bankrupt without him. And this morning, if you're here and that's you, in this room this size, inevitably there's someone, I want to lead you in a prayer that just describes your lostness, our lostness. And if this prayer, as you agree with me, becomes your prayer, we believe that something supernatural happens that where you once were lost, now you're found. We call it salvation. And Jesus came to seek and to save those that are lost. If you're ready to put your faith in Jesus, would you just agree with me in prayer? Say, dear Jesus, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. I'm so lost without you. I'm sorry for the sin in my life. I'm sorry for, for disobeying. I'm sorry for going my own direction, for thinking I've got this figured out. And Jesus, I surrender to you. I give my all to you. I give you my life because I'm nothing without you. Lord, save me. Jesus, save me. When you died on the cross, Jesus, you provided a way for my salvation. And I'm receiving you this morning. In 
Jesus, I pray that you would help me to live for you all the days of my life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now listen, with your eyes on me just for a second. If you prayed that prayer, you say, man, I just prayed that. I just agreed in prayer with you, Pastor. Would you just slip up your hand? I want to just acknowledge you. Yeah. Who else? Thank you. Yeah. We've got some tools, some next steps right up front here that we want to just introduce you to. And we, we, it's, when everyone else is dismissed here in just a moment, we are, we just, there's a couple of you that raised your hands. I just want to briefly talk with you. And uh, so don't hustle off. I'll come and find you. And we'll, we'll look at these things. And uh, it's just some next steps, some things that will help you to get established or to keep you going to that. And so I just want to want to make that aware. And so so for the couple of the that raised your hands or if you if you didn't raise your hand, you're saying, "Yeah, I needed to uh, stick around and we can chat about that." But for the rest of us, I want you to take a big breath as we close here. Go and then hold it. And hold it for as long as you can here just for a second. I guess as you're holding it, probably 30 seconds for most of you, if you got a real good breathe up, maybe a minute or two at the most. The truth is, as you're holding your breath, if you're going to make it out of these doors, you're going to need to take another breath. Am I right? Just shake your head. Keep holding your breath if you can. The truth is, is that we need Jesus just like we need our next breath. You need Jesus. And the way you recognize that, your spiritual state, is by being poor in spirit. And it leads to an incredible pursuit of true fulfillment, satisfaction, happiness. Father, I pray that as we leave here now, that you would keep our hearts red hot for you. And Lord, help us to understand that our need for you is just like our next breath. Lord, we thank you for this. Now go before us, behind us, and all around us. Bring us back together again. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. God bless you. Go in the grace of God this morning. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.